Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. For the first time, something that didn't exist before a recent thing, new, means so much to so many. And ahead of Tokyo 2020, in two weeks' time, we thought it was about time to discuss what we haven't seen before at the Olympics. I'm Michael. And I'm John, and this is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast, and the new sport of skateboarding sees a 13- and 15-year-old lining up for Team GB. We hear from them on the rise of the youth. Oh, God, I sound so old. Yes, you do. Thanks. Golf made its return to the Games in Rio five years ago. Justin Rose claiming the gold medal for Team GB. Who are the newbies in the team this year? And as we revealed in our last episode, two new names on the badminton team sheet in the men's doubles. But it's not the bronze medalists from Rio. We've got the latest on the team selection that's turned sour. We'll discuss the new sporting tennis star of Great Britain, if you believe everything on the BBC and what the papers write, of course. And we'll catch up with two Olympic debutants who are flying off to Tokyo this week and round up all the other 2020 headlines in 2021. As ever, we love to hear from you on Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at anythingbutf. You can send us a message via Instagram, via Facebook. You can go online, find us at our website, anythingbutfooty.com. There is a contact us form on there. Or you can just drop us an email and we'll pick that up, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. So let's start then with skateboarding. And unless you've been living under a stone, you will have heard of Sky Brown. She's 12 years old. Now, 13 years old, she will become the youngest ever competitor for Team GB at a Summer Olympics in skateboarding. Her and the 15-year-old, we thought she was 14, but she corrected us on that. It's very important when you're that age. 15-year-old Bombet Martin will have one of their parents or guardians with them at the Games as they get ready to make history by performing in the first ever Olympic skateboard competition. Well, surely it's a good thing having new sports, new disciplines in each cycle. Let's hear from them, though, as to what they think about it. Sky first, and then we'll hear from Bombet. Sky, first of all, congratulations. What does it mean to be going to the Olympic Games? It means a lot. I mean, I'm just super excited. It's going to be a really fun time. Now, obviously, we know that your parentage is half British, half Japanese, and you spend a lot of time out in the States. So why did you choose to go with Team GB? Um, well, we weren't going to do the Olympics. Well, my parents didn't want me to. I wanted to, for sure, but they felt too much pressure. So, yeah, we weren't going to do any like anything 
I was dying to, but um, Team GB um, DM'd us or texted us. I don't really remember, but they said, you know, just get out there, have fun, and there's no pressure, you know, you can just get out there, do whatever you want, and just enjoy the journey, and that's, I feel like that's what made my parents feel a little better. They still said no at first, but then they also said that you can stop anytime, so it really made my parents feel like, okay, maybe. Obviously, everyone inevitably will talk about how young you are, the youngest team GB athlete, but you go there as a contender, you've qualified third, so let's talk about how talented you are. I mean, how much do you want to win that Olympic medal? I mean... I want to win. I, w- I want to get that gold medal. It, it will be, I was, I will cry. I, it, it will be awesome. Um, but if not, you know, I'm just going to get out there, have fun and see what happens. Try my best. Talk us through, because you've been selected in the park discipline. So it's not been in the Olympics before. So people might not know. What is skateboard park and how will the competition unfold? Um, Park is like, it's a board. It's I like to explain like an empty swimming pool, but like ten times better. Um, so yeah, and you get forty five seconds in the bowl, and you gotta fit as many as many tricks as you can. But it has to be it has to be a good trick. You have to you have to have like a good combination. And do you know what you're gonna be doing in the Olympics? Is this something that you've been working on, or are there new things to reveal in Tokyo? I mean, I just been working on going higher and working on some tricks um, and having good style. I'm just going to try my best. And we know that you had a fairly serious injury, but as we head to the Games less than a month ago, are you all okay now? Oh, yes. I'm I'm perfect. I'm feeling better than ever, and I, I can't wait. Well, all the very best with it. We look forward to following your progress in Tokyo, and well done on your selection. Thank you. Bombette, many congratulations. How does it feel? Um, I'm just still so overwhelmed, but I'm so excited that I get to um, compete for Great Britain. and It's such an honour and I'm so excited. And at the age of 14, what, what do your friends say about it? Well, I was, I was 14 when I qualified. I'm, I'm 15 now, but um, I think the other day my friends were like, I think, I think it's more of a flex for us to say that our friend is going to the Olympics than for you to say you're going. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they're, they're all super excited. Um, I don't think it's really sunk in for any of us yet. And you mentioned your friends. What about family? Obviously, most people can't have family traveling out to Tokyo, but with you being 15, is that different for you? How will that work? Um, well, it's still only, I still only get my dad, um, which is, you know, it's sad that, you know, my mom and my brother can't be there and then, um, you know, none, no one else can. But uh, no, it's all right. They're all going to be on their couches screaming at the TV. So it's going to be OK. <laughs> and how aware are you of history making and the fact that no one's ever been to an Olympics and done skateboarding before? People will be asking questions in pubs and quizzes in years to come as to who you and Sky Brown were and what you did. How aware, conscious are you of that? <laughs> um, well, that's partly one of the reasons why I was so big and adamant about going this time. And my parents were like, no, don't worry. Like, no, one, no one's, like, expecting, like, 
no one cares if you go, it's fine. Um, they're still gonna be proud of you either way. I'm like, I care. I have to go this time. Um, and I was like, I, you know, I've got high expectations for myself. So I, I, I it's like, I need to go this time. I need to be part of the first. And, you know, I just put my mind to it and I did it. So I'm just, I'm happy for that. And you mentioned that you'll be with your dad. Does it help that he was a sportsman himself? Yeah, I, I guess it does because, you know, he knows the whole like mindset and, you know, how to like calm nerves and stuff. Um, actually in, it was for my British nationals. It was like two, 3 a.m. and I couldn't sleep. Um, so he was like, okay, we gotta go for a run. And so um, we just like started doing like laps around the hotel parking lot, <laughs> like until like I almost passed out. So, and then, and then I did. To finish with, he, he was an amateur boxer. Is he any good on a skateboard? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, we try to get him on it sometimes. Uh, like, if he really, like, puts his mind to it, and he's like, he, he'll, he'll roll down, like, the mellowest little ram. If, like, if we make him. But, no, he can't. <laughs> Final question, then, Bombette. The reason I was a little bit late was my Amazon delivery arrived, and it's this Olympic Games book, and well, skateboarding's mentioned on the very final page. It talks about the future. So how important is it for the Olympics that we are bringing in sports like skateboarding and climbing and surfing for the future of the event? Um, well, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring in a whole new viewership. Um, you know, there's just going to be a whole group of people that, you know, don't watch like traditional sports, you know, say like basketball or whatever um that are gonna I think they're gonna be very excited to watch you know skateboarding and surfing and the other sports that are included um I think it's gonna be great well we look forward to it we're excited and all the very best on competing and congratulations again on selection thank you thank you very much so great to hear from Bombette and Sky Great British accents, I thought, both of them. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. It's, it's a, the it's a... subway train in the background of uh, Sky Brown's interview, I think, rather gives the game away as to where she was. <laughs> I mean, it's great that they're coming through, that they are representing Britain in this brand new sport. As they said, it will be attractive to young people to watch. But I thought what was really interesting, Michael, was your question to Sky about the fact that she's based in the US but her, her parents are half Japan, half British. So who was she going to compete for? Well, I think what I would say on that, and I would probably refer back to the Great British Bosses interview that we did with James Hope Gill, um, who's the chief executive of Skateboarding England and Skateboarding GB. And yeah, there was, if you like, a little bit of a, an auction for Sky Brown um, a couple of years ago when skateboarding came onto the programme. And it was quite clear that she was going to be, you know, a contender. And she goes there as a genuine medal contender as well. And I think the reason that she chose Team GB, the reason she chose to compete and what James told us in that, that interview is that I think with the US and Japan, they were going to try and bring her into a program. It was going to be structured. They wanted to look after her and make sure that she was going to the right competitions. I mean, obviously, this all predates COVID. And what Skateboard England, Skateboard GB did was say, look, come into our program, but we'll let you work it out. 
And more importantly, we'll let your parents work it out. Because as we heard there in that interview, her parents thought these Olympic Games were too early. And so her parents, quite rightly, didn't want her going into a big setup where the next three, four years of her life was going to be detailed down to, you know, every little nut and bolt and every flight and every meal and all the rest of it. What Team GB said, or what Skateboard GB said was, come in, represent us, and we'll look after you, and we'll make sure we get you to the Games in the best possible way, and we will have your welfare and safeguarding at the centre. But in terms of getting there and what you do between now and then, we'll trust that you and your parents know best. And that, I think, is the key reason why she chose to represent Great Britain. And I think she's going to do exceptionally well because she produced her best ever competition run to win a silver medal in the US and took third place in the World Championships in Rio um, just a few years ago, cementing her ranking as the third best in the world. So I'm not going to put too much pressure on her because what we're going to talk about later on in the podcast with the world of tennis but she is one of the leading skateboarders, park skateboarders, as you said, in the world. And we wish her and Bombette all the best and their parents as well. Uh, one of them, as we heard from Bombette, will be going out with them. The other new sports to watch out for in Tokyo, surfing, rock climbing, karate, as well as new disciplines, mixed relays in the triathlon, the athletics and the swimming. And I think it is good to see new sports new things coming into the games you've got to stay relevant Michael absolutely I think there's a couple of things that the IOC just need to be aware of there's no point bringing new sports into the games that are going to be very expensive to stage in terms of building new venues and what have you but as I understand it the venues that we're going to see for sport climbing for surfing for karate you know Tokyo I think was able to step up and deliver those um, what we don't want, obviously we're, what, 28, 30 sports now and then disciplines within those. We don't want it to get so large that cities and regions just can't stage the event in the future. I think it also makes sense to bring sports like karate in where, you know, there is going to be, or there should be at least if things go ahead with, with supporters in venues, it is going to be an event, a sport that's going to be really enjoyed in Japan in the same way that like Taekwondo came in in, in 88 in South Korea and why London didn't do something like that maybe with a sport like squash who knows um, but I do think yeah I, at some point the games have to evolve otherwise we'd still be doing tug of war and you know we'd still be doing chariot racing wouldn't we the games have to evolve um, and it's all about the youth of the world they say that at the closing ceremony every time the tradition was and Samarank started it that the youth of the world reconvene in four years time and if they want the youth of the world to keep reconvening not just to compete but to watch it on the telly or watch it on social media as they will now they need to bring sports that are relevant to the youth of the world surfing sport climbing skateboarding they're relevant because judo started in 64 which is when tokyo last hosted it so you can see why they bought karate in for this one it, you know when you look back on it you you realize why these decisions have been made and and that's great to see i think one of the question marks when golf came back after 112 years was why in rio you had to build another golf course when there were other golf courses there and i think that as your point absolutely alludes to, is sports need to come in. They need to be able to be in the uh, events, the stadiums, the centres that are already built rather than having to build new ones. 
What a segue. After 112 years of golf returned to the Olympics in Rio five years ago, with Justin Rose, of course, famously adding a gold medal to his list of achievements. Michael was there. He's probably mentioned it once or twice. As ever, a lot of the press, though, is about those who are not there. World number two, Dustin Johnson, isn't attending, for example. But there are four new names added to the roll call of Team GB this week. Three-time Solheim Cup player Ewart Shadoff and 2019 vice-captain Mel Reed will compete in the women's singles in Japan, while world number 20 Paul Casey and Ryder Cup winner in 2018 Tommy Fleetwood have been chosen in the men's. And of course, Michael is our golf correspondent, so who else would speak to them? Well, Paul, congratulations. What does it mean to be part of Team GB and to be an Olympian? Ah, I... I'm not sure I can describe it. It's something that um, I kind of beyond my sort of uh, thoughts, really. Uh, I've just been I've just been given a very big bag full of some very cool kit. So I've been I've donned the um, the Team GB kit for the sort of last few minutes, and it's a feeling which I'm just immensely proud and um, very excited for what's to come in a couple of weeks' time. When did the Olympics first loom into view for you, both, I guess, growing up, maybe watching it and then thinking about competing in it? I think as a kid, it was, I've, just, I've mentioned a couple of names today. I go, I go back to like the Daley Thompson kind of days or, or you know, Linford Christie, those sorts of names for me were the ones that pop out. Um, yeah, so that's a long, look, I'm 43, I'll be 44 in a week or so. So it's, yeah, my Olympic memories go back a long, long way. And it was always that iconic thing to watch during the, the summer every four years uh, to predominantly watch sports I never really knew much about and to watch these great spectacles on TV, opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies. And it was, it was engrossing. It was mesmerizing. and um, never thought I would be part of that. Um, you know, and, and even when the talk was, you know, golf was going to be included and the push for golf to be included in the Olympics, I don't think we kind of, any of us really grasped um, the magnitude of it. And then when Justin came back home with a gold and then he didn't take it out of his golf bag for about two years, I think it's all dawned on us how significant golf's inclusion has been into the Olympics. Um, look, ignoring people's opinions on you know, people always have opinions of what sports should be included. Um, and I'm a bit of a traditionalist in, in to me, the Olympics is always those sort of, you know, athletics and, and it's the swimmings and the weightlifts and things like that. But you can see what an impact that's had for Justin and the guys that went over there and competed. And I've chatted to the guys that have been there and they've talked about it might be the greatest thing they've ever done. And those are the ones who a lot of them hadn't, didn't come home. Most of them didn't come home with medals. I mean, there was only, you know, Justin Henrik and Matt who came home with medals and they talk about what the greatest experience they've ever had at an event, at a golf course. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been kind of resonating with me now for really since, since Brazil. So five years or so, it's really been resonating. I walked those final 18 holes with Henrik and Justin in Rio. It was a fantastic thing. And Justin really bought into the whole Olympics, going to the ceremony, going to other events is there a little bit of sadness that you probably won't get that opportunity because of the situation? There is. And, and I'm, I'm, I've known Justin since I was a 13 or 14 years old and he's talked about it at length. More recently, I've had some really long conversations with, uh, with Mark Fulcher, with Fooch, his caddy. And he actually called me and FaceTimed me 
on Sunday when the final men's ranking was sort of set uh, and it was confirmed that I, I'd be traveling. And he spoke at how it's the proudest thing he's ever been a part of um, to, to walk into that stadium for an opening ceremony. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's sort of, yeah, I'm sad I'm not going to be able to do that. And I've asked, I've asked a couple of times, Nigel, our, our, Nigel Edwards is sort of to my right. And I've asked him a few times, you know, can I do it? Can I do it? There's just no way, unfortunately. So, you know, yeah, I'm going to miss out on some of that stuff. But for me, it's not going to dilute and, and um, you know, mute the experience. You know, I'm going to embrace every single minute of it. Well, all the very best out there. And congratulations again on your selection. Thank you very much. Tommy, congratulations. Thank what you. does it mean to be wearing that Team GB kit today, the baseball cap on the top? Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I feel like I don't want to really want to take it off. Um, just very, very special, very cool. Um, you know, like a simple act of just putting like an item of clothing on uh, can fill you with so much pride. So um, feels great. Like really, really excited. Um, it's been a goal for a few years now. So um, to finally get here, to know I'm going and to compete and everything in the Olympics, it's, you know, yeah, special. Golfers perform normally week in week out as individuals you do get the opportunity as we know to perform nationally sometimes and for your continent but what will it mean to be part of team gb a team of around 375 people in an olympics which is 125 years old well yeah you know you, you're sort of part of um something much bigger than golf you you know you're joining a group of the greatest athletes that the nation has to offer so um you know, very proud to be a part of that and, um, you know, want to do my bit. I'm sure, you know, us golfers want to do our bit and try and bring some medals home. But, um, you know, it's going to be an amazing experience. Very, very proud to be part of such a huge organization and something that, um, you know, is, is so popular all over the world, really. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, I don't really know. There's not really many other words I can describe. I mean, cool, special, whatever it is, like proud, but, um, you know, very, very happy. Was it always an ambition for you to, to compete at an Olympic Games once golf came on the agenda? Or do you look at your Ryder Cup points and think, well, things are working out for me this year? I can um, do both. No, 100% um, wanted to be part of the Olympics. Uh, the last time it was on in 2016, I think I was around 200th in the world. So it wasn't really like on my radar then. I was trying to get my game back. Um, but for the last two, three years, um, I've had a very specific like, goal written down that I wanted to be at the Olympics. I wanted to be an Olympian. I wanted to be competing. Um, so yeah, like there was never like any doubt in my mind that I wanted to be um, part of this. Um, so yeah, it's great that it's finally happened. And where would an Olympic medal rank in terms of winning a major, being part of winning Ryder Cup teams? Where do you put it in the um, order? Well, I hope I do it all and then I'll like put them in order from there if you like. But um, we can start by trying to, trying to win an Olympic gold medal. I think. Um, Justin showed how special it can be. Um, you know, you look at the athletes that go to the Olympics that have a chance every four years and go and put so much passion and effort into um, trying to win a gold medal. And um, yeah, like we've always had our four majors that come around every year that's been the pinnacle of our sport. But I think the Olympics is um, right up there with them. And um, for sure, I'll be giving it everything to try and come back with a gold medal. I'll finish up with the same question that I finished up five years ago when I had this chat with Justin Rose, and that is that Usain Bolt's got the lightning bolt, Mo Farah's got the Mobot. 
Justin said he was going to do something called the Rosebud on the 18th green when he I'm won the sure, gold medal. I'm sure it was, yeah. What's your celebration going to be, Tommy? I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I honestly, um, Justin had one planned clearly, but that's uh, I won't have anything planned. I'll just go with, um, I hope I am celebrating and whatever it does come will be just about as raw as it gets, which I think is like one of the great things about the Olympics and, the, and sport is that you watch just that the complete raw emotion comes out at the time. So, um, yeah, nothing, nothing planned. We'll just see what we can come up with, but I'll uh, try and take care of the first part, which is actually getting that gold medal. Well, all the very best. Countries behind you. Congratulations again on your selection today. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. I think the key thing to come out of those interviews is how enthusiastic both of them are. Um, what speaking to you? Um, no, how they were, they were delighted to speak to you. How enthusiastic they both are to be going to the Olympic Games, and I think they fed off what Justin Rose did, and I think that was quite an interesting line that Justin didn't take the gold medal out of his golf bag for for two years. It was it was always there if someone <laughs> wanted to to see it. But they're both clearly a bit like your a bit like your selfie with Justin Rose, <laughs> exactly like that. Except I didn't get the golf uh, the gold medal to put in my golf bag. I just got the picture. Um, but no, seriously, they they both want to go out there and and compete. And I think that said. So much for Justin Rose five years ago. He wanted to be in the team. He was desperate to be in the team. He wanted to play his full part in the event. He wanted to go to the ceremony. He wanted to make sure that his caddy and his immediate support team were were looked after. And I remember we spoke five years ago to Mark England about that and how Mark England was impressed that Justin Rose was looking at all of those details. He wasn't just going to turn up to play the tournament. He wanted to go and support his teammates at different events, at different sports as well. And he got that hole-in-one, which was obviously, uh, you know, a a huge moment personally for him. And then on the final day, him and Henrik Stenson um, played a terrific 18 holes in the sunshine of Rio, and Justin came out on top with the gold medal. It was was a perfect fairy tale story. I went to see him at Troon at the Open before the Olympics. I said, you know, where does this rank Olympic gold medal major what do you want to do and he said I want to be a multiple major winner and an Olympic gold medalist and it was it was so important to him and I think what Tommy Fleetwood and Paul Casey have picked up on very quickly is that this is this is different and you know this isn't a normal tour title this is something that that's a little bit special they they're aware of the history they're aware of of being part of a very elite club team GB Olympians they're aware that you don't get this opportunity many times. And I think they both are, are really looking to to go and, and compete and, and follow up what Justin did five years ago. Exciting times for the world of golf. Now, not quite so exciting times in the world of badminton. And two of badminton's history makers from Rio have criticised the sport in this country this week after failing to be selected for the men's doubles in Tokyo five years on. Marcus Ellis and Chris Langridge became the first GB medalists in men's doubles when they won bronze in Brazil. And Despite saying they were leading the national rankings before selection, they haven't been selected. They say it's not personal to the pair that have, but they've said something now has to change at GB Badminton. They say they felt saddened and failed by the organisation. And other players have spoken out about the unsupportive environment of the centre in Milton Keynes as well. Both posted on social media saying it's not about feeling sorry for them, but they want change for the future of the sport so no one has to go through what they've been through. Marcus has been selected for the Games in the mixed doubles with Lauren Smith, 
but says his prep has been totally off and he's been totally distracted. Now, in a reply, a statement from GB Badminton say they carried out a robust selection process, but they say they take well-being very seriously of their players and will look to have constructive and productive dialogue with the players involved and look at working with the British Athlete Commission as well, the BAC. They've also asked UK Sport to carry out a culture health check as soon as possible after the Games. Being honest, Michael, we have worked with Badminton England, GB Badminton, and we've also interviewed Marcus Ellis and Chris Langridge a lot as well. It is a really sad situation. Yeah, full disclosure, we we have contacts with all those organisations that you just mentioned. You know, we have worked extensively uh, with Badminton England and the team at Milton Keynes. Uh, we've worked with UK Sport. Uh, we've done a Great British Bosses interview with the British Athletes Commission. And we know Marcus and Chris a little bit. And we've, well, Marcus's partner is, is Lauren, as we know, who he competes with. We, we know Chris and we've met and interviewed his partner as well. It's difficult situation. And this goes back to the conversation we were having about gymnastics um, and the Downies a few weeks ago. Difficult decisions have to be made by organisations. It's been five years since the last Olympics. You can't put someone in the team because they performed well five years ago. If not, we'd still have Daly Thompson, Mo Farah, Alistair Brownlee going in the team. Badminton England, as I said about British Gymnastics, they will have the data. They will have the selection panel they will have all the statistics at their fingers as to why they've made the selection they've made. We have to hope and trust that they made that selection based on that data, based on on how the players have been performing. And it wasn't, as has been suggested with gymnastics, that it's other external issues. Um, And I think the thing is that everyone needs to do here is learn from that process. And... I do have sympathy, I think, this time. I do think this selection process has been really difficult for sports because it's been such an unusual build-up and we haven't had the level of tournaments. And I think that needs to be taken into account a little bit. The most worrying thing for me in all of that is that Marcus Ellis, who's one of the world's best badminton players, is a bronze medalist from Rio, now believes that his build-up, his preparation for this, has been interrupted because... Of this and that impacts on him it impacts on Lauren who will be playing with him mixed doubles as well and it probably impacts on the rest of the badminton team as well so you know I have sympathy with the way we've had to select athletes this time and I don't think the selection process has been the easiest and it's probably not been the easiest of processes um, for people especially when you've got to take a limited team and badminton England will be very aware they lost their funding last time so they haven't got loads of cash to take loads and loads of people. Um, They have to take a lean squad because they know if they don't perform, they won a bronze medal last time and had their funding stripped. They know if they don't go there and perform, then that funding stream could disappear again and they'll have to be conscious of that. I wonder whether also the concerning thing was the claim that there was a total lack of communication. I think you make a really good point, and I haven't heard this anywhere else, and this is why Michael does what he does, because he does really think about these things. The selection process 
for these Olympics has been totally off the wall. We've talked about how on earth people were going to qualify, but what we haven't talked about previously is, well, what are the selection processes? And I wonder whether the communication was good enough about how we are going to select people. And secondly, that if you read the social media posts, is were they communicated enough during that process? As a, as a respect that they were bronze medalists. And we spoke to Marcus Ellis for our radio series 21 for 21. He was pretty confident he was going to both. Now, I know that that you, you can never assume, but he is he says there was nothing that, that suggested that he wouldn't be going in the men's doubles and the mixed doubles. And I think that question mark over the whole communication would need to be looked at. But I think they've done the right thing by saying, look, well-being is important. We need to talk to these players. We also want to bring someone external in to have a, a review of, of what we're doing. And UK Sport has been successful at that. Uh, other national uh, governing bodies that we've that we've mentioned, probably too many to mention. Um, and, and that does cause an issue moving forward that is there. Um, and we know that UK Sport are working on this moving forward, that it isn't just about medals. It is about how you bring the players through and how you look after them. So I think they've done the right thing. But as you, you summarise so brilliantly, what a shame that we're two weeks away from the Games and, and Marcus, who could win a medal, is not really been thinking about that. He's been thinking about something else. Let's move on to tennis on the theme of welfare. And British tennis, I'm loath to say it, I'm hesitant to say it, has a new superstar. Uh, Emma Raducanu, she's 18 years of age. She was unfortunately forced to retire during her fourth round match at Wimbledon. She said she that not being able to carry on was the hardest thing in the world for her. She beat two top 50 players on her way to the last 16 and she has sparked a huge debate. Uh, John McEnroe, in his role as a BBC pundit and commentator, um, questioned why Emma Raducanu pulled out of the match. She subsequently had support from the likes of Marcus Rashford, also the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And aside from her performances at Wimbledon and getting to the last 16, I think there is a bigger issue here about the way we build up our sports stars, certainly at the age of 18, because I feel so sorry for Emma Raducanu. And clearly the scheduling of the match for television. I mean, I know I've seen the All England statement that says it's a very complicated process, but I, I think you are living in a hole if you don't think they chose to schedule her last because they knew that the TV audiences in this country would be huge for that. And I'm sure the BBC put pressure on the schedulers. Um, there's a reason Andy Murray is always last on court because they know they can get 15 to 20 million watching on BBC One. With Andy Murray out, there was a reason Emma Raducanu was, was last on court. And I just think when someone is 18 years of age, you, as Alex Ferguson did when that, that class of 92 came through, you've got to look after them. You've got to look out for them. And, you know, people that came through at the age of 17, 18 in the early 90s didn't have anywhere near the level of TV coverage, channels, social media platforms that, players are coming through now and you know we've talked about Sky Brown and we talked in the past about whether Sky Brown should have conversations with Tom Daly um, in the way that he managed his career and his rise through the difficult teenage years you know I think that if if UK sport or one of those bodies are are looking 
at forming some kind of commission, some kind of committee, some kind of group, then I do think that this is a real area that needs to be examined. Well, it's interesting. You you brought up an interesting point there. Of course, the LTA don't get any UK sport funding because they get the majority of their money from Wimbledon every year. So the Lawn Tennis Association, who run the governing body of sport of tennis in this country, do not get any national funding. So for them to... They they can't say to UK Sport come in and give us a review. They could actually, but they don't. They don't have a relationship at the moment, and it's always been like you don't. They don't get any funding. But I think you're right. I think there has to be some questions over that. My question mark, and I'm certainly not going to deem Piers Morgan's comments with anything more than you know, um, give him any more um, publicity than he than <laughs> yes, quite than he actually deserves. But I agree with you. I think. Big question marks have to be asked about Wimbledon and the BBC and the scheduling of this match. Not only because it was obvious they wanted it, as you say, for a big audience. But this is an 18-year-old girl who's just finished her A-levels. She's in her first Wimbledon. She's had a great first week. She's won some matches. But Barry Cowan and Chris Bailey won matches at Wimbledon. And they didn't then go on and have massive careers. Laura Robson, I think you mentioned to me the other day, you know, was was the big star, and she, with injuries and and whatever, has not managed to see that through through her career. So, she's an eighteen year old girl. She's last on center on number one court. She's waiting all day for a match. When has she ever waited all day for a match as an eighteen year old? You would play in the afternoon. You would get up and play in the morning in your tournaments. She's not used to it. And I think we have put so much pressure on her because she she has achieved and she got to the fourth round and well done for that. It's an amazing thing. But you mentioned football earlier with with Alex Ferguson. Have we not learned anything from what Gareth Southgate is doing with England? I was just about to say, despite the fact we are an anything but footy podcast, actually, this is where Olympic and Paralympic sports can learn from football because... Premier League football clubs do tend these days, 99% of the time, to bring their their young men through, their young footballers through, in a good way. And they tend to then emerge in the way that Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling and others have emerged, to be, from the outside looking in, pretty well-rounded, decent young men and individuals who understand their job, their role and their potential for a higher purpose and this doesn't seem to be happening with some of our young young stars in other sports at the minute exactly we're putting the pressure on her and and by because tennis is a single sport you're a you're an individual athlete all the pressure goes on her whatever the decision was made whenever she was going to play she was under pressure but we put more pressure on her by putting her on the front pages of the papers by putting her last on number one court by actually not keeping the normal tv schedule that night and putting her live on bbc one because that's what they did with murray murray has been there and done it he can cope with that kind of focus uh, Radicanu cannot. We have learned nothing from Wayne Rooney in Euros 2004 when the England players now are protected and the pressure is taken off them. You hear Gareth Southgate speak. It's not about the past. It's about what they can do now. We are putting our own pressure on Radicanu by saying she's the first Brit through to the fourth round for blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, 
all that pressure and we just never learn in this country. We just keep on piling it on, piling it on. And then when something goes wrong and she does a Naomi Osaka, for example, in the years to come, we then turn around and say, well, this is outrageous. We haven't looked after her mental health. We haven't done this. We haven't done that. But we are not helping her at all in the world of tennis. And I hope that we can learn from this. And the organisations, the All England Club and the BBC need to have responsibility for their part in that as well. And I don't think that's been brought up enough, that they should not have scheduled her on third on number one court. And they need to look out for Bombet Martin and Sky Brown in Tokyo. You know, I'm watching the, the BBC promo for the Olympics. Who's front and centre of that? Sky Brown. She's... <laughs> 12, 13 years of age. I mean, we've talked about Justin Rose in this podcast, a guy who as a teenager came through as an amateur at the Open and and then had a wretched time after that, after all that initial publicity, absolutely yeah. wretched time, but was able to come through it. And I just think that there is a, a bigger issue for sport in this country about managing our young superstars. And we've got two or three that we've talked about in this podcast that need to be looked out for in a world that Justin Rose never experienced, David Beckham never experienced, and others that, you know, we Andy Murray never experienced, you yeah. know. And it's it's a different world now, and there just needs to be some kind of mechanism around them. Radicanu, Sky Brown, Bombette Martin, plenty of others as well. Let's move on on Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic Sport Podcast, because the Tokyo Olympics are now just days away. There will, of course, Woo. as ever be some events before the opening ceremony on Friday, July the 23rd. There's some football. I think there's some other preliminaries. There's usually some archery qualifying as well beforehand. But Friday lunchtime, as far as we're concerned in the UK, will be when we sit down to watch it all begin. And we'll be trying to ensure we give you a rundown each day on our Twitter account of what to watch out for in Tokyo. Uh, They are eight hours ahead of the UK, so make sure you follow our accounts for the very latest during the Games. But... The kits have been received. The bags are, for the most part, packed. The baked beans, the chocolate has been stored safely too. The Cabris is en route as some of Team GB's athletes start flying out this week. It includes two debutantes in canoe slalom, Mallory Franklin and Adam Burgess. And we caught up with them just ahead of them leaving to find out how their preparations were going. A few weeks away now from Tokyo. It's this month. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's fully hit me yet. I mean, I had my little like, oh, it's a month till I'm going to be sat on the start line moment on the 28th of June. But I think, um, yeah, it's really crazy. I think once once I'm kind of like packed and heading out to Japan, I think it will probably fully hit me. But um, yeah, it feels really, really crazy um, and kind of getting really close while still feeling really far away, which is really weird. One of the most exciting things, um, not that I've ever experienced myself, I've just seen it, is when you guys go to kitting out. And you get all these bags and bags and stuff. Can you talk talk to the listeners a little bit about the stuff that you get? Yeah, so we didn't actually, unfortunately, we didn't get to go to Kitting Out due to um, being away racing and the quarantine for when we got back. Um, but we did get our kit the minute we got back. Um, our team leader was nice enough to drive all the way to Birmingham to pick it up for us. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's really exciting. It's definitely one of the things that I also most look forward to. Um, so we, you basically get, you get, like two hold bags, um, big suitcases, uh, and then some other bags, including like backpacks and things like that. And then they basically contain kind of all the kit you'd need. So the opening ceremony where the closing ceremony where, which is Ben Sherman this year, and then 
like all of the tops, jumpers. I, the thing that surprised me most was that there was like very definite like ranges within it and some really smart stuff. And then there's kind of like the tops a little bit more like the one I'm wearing now, which is a bit more casual and like you could probably wear kind of out in normal life and it not look like team kit. Um, yeah, and then you get like trainers and then we also get suits by Simon Jersey, which I was really excited to put on. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's loads of stuff and it's definitely, it feels like Christmas. It's just like you get it all and it's like, took me literally about two hours to go through it all and like try it on and just like my mother half is like getting very bored. <laughs> I'm interested you mentioned opening and closing ceremonies because they're such a, a feature of the games as we know, but it's probably going to be a bit different this year. Are you aware if you're going to be able to attend either of those? Uh, so I don't actually know definitely. I believe that I, because I'm in Japan over the period of the opening ceremony, um, I believe I'll get an option potentially go to go to the opening ceremony, but I don't have a clue yet what kind of setup that's going to be or anything like that, how normal it is or not. Um, and then because we come back, like I have to come back a couple of days after I finish racing. So I won't be in Japan for the closing ceremony, so I won't get the opportunity to go to that. But I think if you're an athlete that was like the other way around, then yeah, you'd get the opportunity to go to the closing ceremony. But yeah, I don't personally know anything about what it's going to be like, although I also don't really know anything about what it was normally like. So <laughs> it's all a bit weird. So even if you're sat at home back in Hertfordshire, are you going to get dressed up in your kit that you've been given for the closing ceremony? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I, mean, I guess we might do something as a team. We'll all be back here, the whole of the Pew Salem team. So I imagine we might try and do something just nice just to kind of wrap up the games. But we haven't really talked about it. It's definitely something we're not thinking about yet. But um, yeah, it's really it's really nice to have that kit and like, yeah, put it on even if you're not out there. How's form, Mallory? A bit up, bit up and down? Uh, yeah, <laughs> as is Canoe Salem. Realistically, it's all about just trying to put everything together when it matters. Because you've been training a lot at Lee Valley on the kind of Tokyo kind of course. So then when you competed in Germany, I'm assuming that's then totally different. Uh, yeah, I mean, the course in Germany is closer to, to here, but it's definitely very different also. Like, I think if you looked at it um, as someone that didn't really understand Salem, you'd be like, oh, they look very similar. They've both got blocks in, like it's an artificial course, but actually the way the water reacts and the type of features and like stoppers that they have there is, is very different. And um, it's like, you learn like the foundation of Salem, you can translate that well, but it's still very different. And we, we don't, at our World Cups, we only have a few sessions before we race. So you have very limited time to get used to the course. Whereas obviously in Tokyo, we've got like a three week training camp out there before we race. So we've got loads of time. Well, Adam, as I said, last chance probably to speak to you before you, you head out. How's the final preparations, that final little home stretch gone for you? Yeah, I think it's gone really well. Um, We've been fortunate to be able to travel a little bit and get to some races, had European Championships and a couple of World Cups. And um, yeah, I think, you know, shown what I'm capable of with um, the performances there. Haven't quite got the result that I wanted, um, but that's that's canoe slalom sometimes. And, you know, actually thinking that's probably the the best possible preparation, really, because it, it just it's keeping me sharp. You know, I know I've got to stay in the moment. I know I'm fast enough, but um, I've just got to be absolutely focused on the day and I guess it's been quite a difficult decision for you guys as to whether to go off and do these competitions because with quarantining and things it means then you might not be able to go training as you would normally but mm. on the whole has it been a, a decision that you have returned and thought was worthwhile yeah definitely definitely I think you know we knew training was going well here um felt good you know I got good competition within the men's canoe group here so 
I was feeling good, but there is always that unknown, you know, like how is everyone else looking and, and how will it stack up against the international field? And then straight away, you know, first run I did European championships in the heats, just felt right at home on the start line, delivered a really fast run right up there with the best out of everyone. And I was like, yeah, cool. So I was pretty content from the word go, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, more, just, just lots of good learning across the board. You mentioned uh, some learning. Uh, G- Germany didn't quite go as, as I'm mm. sure you, you, you expected or wanted. Um, does that, in some ways, is that daunting that you've got one chance at the Olympics? There isn't like a second chance. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a funny one, Matt. Very, very out of character for me, actually. You know, I'm, I'm usually a very consistent paddler. Um, I think at those World Cups, you know, I, I went in very confident. Um, this is probably the first season where, you know, I've really, I do really feel like I'm one of the, I'm one of the top guys now. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a serious medal contender. And, um, you know, I wonder if I was just living a little bit too far ahead of myself there. Um, I mean, I showed it with the performance, like, you know, 99% of my runs were, were flawless, uh, really. It's just, just one turn that I just couldn't quite get right that day. And, um, yeah, I mean, in the debrief and talking with my mentor, you know, we've said that that probably is, you know, it's probably the best thing that could have happened actually before the Olympic Games, because it's like, cool, like, you know, you're fast, but we also know that how hard Kuni Slalom is and how, you know, the smallest mistake can just completely take you out of the competition. Um, so what we've seen since getting back from there is, you know, the same speed, but just that little bit of extra care sometimes when, you know, I know I'm not quite in the right place and I've just got to get myself out of trouble before I can carry on the run. Well, two gold, two silver medals for British canoeing across slalom and sprint five years ago. The class of 2021, um, confident of reaching those high standards again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hope we can do even better. Um, you know, certainly in, in canoe slalom, you know, it is, it is always one of them. It's very much what happens on the day. Um, but, you know, I've seen it in myself and I've seen it from the other three guys. All of us are fast enough to go there and win medals. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, you know, we can just get out there and trust our skills and uh, deliver our best performances. Well, we wish you all the best of luck. Thanks for talking to anything but footy. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Great to hear them both. So excited, but also knowing that they need to go and perform as well. And they found it difficult in the last few weeks but they know they've got one opportunity. We've talked about this on the podcast recently. A lot of these athletes going out there, more than 350 for Team GB, have got one chance to get this right. Yep, and they're part of one Team GB, um, and they will be looked after um, better than any other team that has ever gone overseas. They will be better prepared. They will have everything. Despite everything that's gone on, they will have everything they need to try and increase that performance advantage as as little or as large as it possibly can be. And as we heard, they get some great clothes. <laughs> and the beans and the chocolate. <laughs> now, you might see the taking of the knee before events at the Olympics after the IOC and its Athletes Commission altered some of the rules around protests. Athletes will be able to express their views before competition to the media, on social, just not on the podium. Still think that some will do this, but It's their decision entirely. At least some common ground seems to have been found a couple of weeks before the Games. Yeah, a breakout of common sense as well. Quite unusual, often in um, Olympic circles. Now, our new 
Do you get it? Because we're talking about new things today. So our news continues with <laughs> Equestrian as the first female show jumper has been named by Team GB this week for 45 years. Holly Smith and her horse Denver will be out to defend the team show jumping gold won in Rio five years ago. Ben Mayer and Scott Brash will be in that team too. Charlotte Dujardin will also be out to defend her dressage gold uh, with Rene Hart or Gio. Ranked number one and two in the world, the British Paralympic wheelchair basketball teams were confirmed with 24 names going to the Games in Tokyo later this summer. The men who won bronze in Rio are captained by two-time Paralympian Ian Sager and Helen Freeman makes her fourth Games for the women. And you can hear Helen as one of our 21 for 21 radio series next week. Amazing, there's only two weeks to go of that whole series. Four new names added to the 72 athletes, track and field athletes, that we discussed with Christian Malcolm in the last episode of Anything But Footy. David King joins Andrew Pozzi in the men's 110 metres hurdles following the acceptance of his invite. Emily Borthwick has earned an invitation in the women's high jump. British 1500 metres champion Reve Walcott-Nolan has received her invite. She'll join Laura Muir and Katie Snowden in that event. And the 2017 relay world champion, Nathaniel Mitchell-Blake will also contest the 200 metres, adding to his 4 by 100 metres relay berth, which means Jonah Efaloko is also selected now for that relay squad. It's been a good one. It's been a long one, but you can get in touch anytime at Anything But F on Twitter or message us on Insta and Facebook. Check out the website, anythingbutfooty.com or email anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. So in a time we've been talking about new, new disciplines, new athletes, new names going to the Olympics, it was interesting to hear from Paul Casey that his Olympic heroes were Daley Thompson, Seb Coe, LA84, clearly his first memory. But Team GB will also have on the roster a 13-year-old in Sky Brown, born on the eve of the Olympics of Beijing in 2008. And that is the great thing about the Games, that common goal of a man who remembers 84, to a girl who was born just before 2008, both going for the same thing, an Olympic gold medal. Sports Social Podcast Network.